And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And I hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we took a look at not one but two episodes of the classic uh, uh, tokusatsu series Ultraman. But we are back on the Godzilla series this time out. And I do mean we in a very real and literal sense, as I am not alone. I am joined by uh, a fellow Daikaiju podcaster, a guy who has done some really great stuff out here in the Daikaiju community, and we're glad to have him here on the mainland. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm Earth Destruction Directive to Nathan Marchand. How you doing, Nathan? Hello, Earth Destruction Directive listeners! I am, is, I am so glad that we could get, like I said, get you here off the island and here uh, yes. to the mainland to be able to record tonight. Yes, the, I, I, I was very happy to get your invitation. Unfortunately, my intrepid producer is not joining me today. He flew me here on the Moonlight SY3, and then your boss told him he couldn't be on, which I thought was a little bit strange. Well, you know, you know, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the infamous cocktail napkin from the producer, right. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Signore Damanzo, he, he usually leaves Earth destruction delective fairly alone, to be honest. He usually lets me kind of do what I want, but every now and again, you get the memo, the memo from the attorneys and, uh, it, and I mean, it was, it's not, it's not all in English, but what I could make out was like, we don't want to that Jimmy guy. So it's like, okay, you know, the boss says, Mm No Jimmy guy, then then no Jimmy guy. So wh- where is Jimmy tonight, anyway? Well, as you know from the war in space, Jimmy hails from New York, which, relatively speaking, from South Carolina is not too far away. It's kind of in the same neighborhood, you know, New England. Well, so he decided, hey, I'm going to go visit home. Yeah. Well, well that's... That's kind of, I don't know if you'd, I'd want to go into New York right now. Hopefully that Cuomo doesn't throw him in empire jail or something. But Yeah, uh, yeah, let me tell you. I mean, you're talking about uh, DeManzo giving you trouble. I have to answer <laughs> to the Monster Island Board of Directors. I don't think they're going to appreciate having to bail out Jimmy. Yeah, well, they still haven't figured out how I managed to get on the island during the lockdown. So let's, uh, you know, let's let's let sleeping monsters lie, as it were. But um, yes, uh, I will say, if you're, tra- if you're in the SY3, yeah, if you're in the SY3, South Carolina, New York, that's like half an hour. That's that's not bad yeah, at all. Yeah, pretty but, much. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but, I um, can't, but I do want to tell you, it is, for me, being on your show today is kind of a full circle moment for me. Because when I started listening to Kaiju Podcasts a few years ago, my first two were, obviously, Kyle Yount's Kaiju Cast and cool. yours. Oh, wow. So, is, hey. I my show would... Honestly, not quite be what it is today, if not for you, good sir. 
Well, I appreciate that, that Nathan. Thank you very much. And you know, it's it's funny because over the last, I'd say, twelve to eighteen months, we've really seen the Daikaiju podcasting community really just expand and grow tremendously. Oh, yes. And you know, the Monster Island Film Vault has been one of those shows that I've really enjoyed and really, um, you know, always look forward to to listening to and and like seeing your hype for each episode always gets me excited to to listen to the new one. So I, I appreciate that. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I was talking with I was talking with a, a non Daikaiju podcast. I was talking with Rob Kelly of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and they just oh yeah over. yeah I I kind of know him. I've listened yeah. to their shows sometimes. Well, Rob and Shag just rolled over. 250 episodes of fire and water their main show oh and i i sent him a message and he says it's hard to believe we've been doing this for more than a day for almost a decade and i said yeah because i've been doing this show for uh it's we're closing in on a decade that i've been doing earth destruction directive i've been podcasting for over a decade now so it's it's incredible when you think about it just how long some of these, some of us have been around, but there's still new blood and, and new ideas and new voices being heard. So that's, that's one of the things I really like, you know, and then we've got a, a pretty, a pretty good community of, of folks online that, that are always kind of chatting back and forth and, and, you know, debating things back and forth, but, you know, and, and, and you're one of the guys I find that that stays on the positive side of things, which, you know, that's how, where I try to live here on earth destruction directive. So I, I do appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad that, that, uh, that Earth Destruction Directive could help and inspire others because, uh, you know, it's it all goes back to an episode they did on uh, that my, uh, you know, my, the OGs here on Two True Freaks, Chris mm-hmm. and Scott, did get off your ass and make a podcast. So yep. <laughs> uh, you too can uh, can can you know shout into the void and make your vo- make yourself heard. But uh, <laughs> but it's, what what are we shouting into the void about on this episode? Well, uh, this was one that we had talked about a while back. And I knew after talking with you that with this one coming up on the schedule that we had to that, that you were the perfect guest to to talk about it. So we're talking about Godzilla versus Gigan, all the way back from 1972. The um, from from director Jun Fukuda, um, screenwriters uh, Takeshi Kimura and Shinichi Sekizawa. Um, a return to form, sort of, after Godzilla vs. Hedra, which listeners know I covered with my brother a few episodes back. Um, but a uh, definitely, a, uh, it, it, this this is a film that is, in many ways, people say, oh, it's it's back to form, but this film is its own animal, 100%. Uh, even Indeed. if uh, parts of that parts of that animal may be cobbled together from other animals. But uh, <laughs> why don't? So wait, so you're saying this is a Frankenstein Godzilla film? Is that what you? <laughs> <laughs> well, they tried to make a Frankenstein Godzilla film. We all know this what is true. That, right? It was Baragon. So, but uh, <laughs> I know I just covered that uh, back in October. Actually, yeah. you'd be. You know what's incredible to me is that, and I've said this before. I have ever since I started this show, I have had no fewer than like six people say, "Hey, when you do War of the Gargantuas, I want to be on that." And I've had no one ask me to be on Frankenstein Conquers the World. <laughs> And I have my well, theories on that. But. Uh, I do as well. I, yeah. I just uh, published an episode on that, actually. And, yeah, there are reasons for that. But that's not what we're here to that's talk about. That's not what today. we're here to cover. So <laughs> let me. So I, I know that uh, that you have told me, and, and I've seen from, from some of the other stuff you put out, that this this is a film that has a very special place for, for you. Indeed. So, so what is your origin with Godzilla vs. Guy? It's interesting that you say that because... This is actually one that I just came across in my early days of Godzilla fandom that where I was just trying to find as many of these movies as I could. 
as many as I could. So I would scour video stores and department stores trying to find anything I could. I saw Megalon, the follow-up film to this, first. So that was my introduction to Gaigon, as I like to say. Uh, or as the controller likes to say. <laughs> well, that was my introduction to him as a monster. And then I found out, oh, wait, Gigan was in another movie. So, which they already hinted at in Megalon anyway. But yeah. so then I found this one sitting on a department store shelf. And I just said, you know what? I have to have that one. So I grabbed it and watched it. And that it's so it's as simple as that. It was you know, just finding it and saying, like, I need to add that to the collection. Mm-hmm. See, um, I'm a, I'm similar in some ways and different in other ways uh, from for you on that origin. So, uh, like you, I saw Godzilla vs. Megalon before I saw Godzilla vs. Gigan because that, that was one of the, <clears throat> I've said many times, the the I had a tape that my dad had put together of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And then uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, then Rodan, then what was then known as Godzilla versus Monster Zero back in the 80s. And then I had another tape of Godzilla versus Megalon, you know, because this is back when Megalon was believed to be in the public domain. And so there was a lot of cheap DHS <laughs> tapes floating around. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> you know, you know what? What's, I mean, it's, it's incredible how long that simply was just assumed to be the fact from a legal standpoint. You know, it, it really, um, uh, Ki- uh, Kyoai Teshi, Toshi and I have talked on Twitter about that, about, well, you know, how come, you know, that, that, uh, it, that, you know, why did Toho not go after all these VHS tapes? It's like, because their lawyers believed it too. It was, it was not just that everybody was being, you know, was disregarding their copyright. It was genuinely, legitimately believed to be in the public domain, but, but be that as it may. So I had, so I, I knew Gigan from that. And I remember I had uh, a little friction motor toy um, where you would push Gigan across and it would push the flywheel and the sparks would pop out of his mouth. Oh, really? Yes, I had Who I had one that? of those. I have no idea. I think I got it out of like a, a grocery store vending machine, to be honest with you. But I have no you idea have where that is. You have the coolest vending machines. <laughs> I'm just saying. It was Because I've never man. seen anything like that. Now... Back on the island in my apartment, I do have an old, it's not, it's one of the ones that doesn't move, but I do have a Trendmasters Geigen yes. sitting on my, uh, sitting on my dresser. I, I do. Now, do you have the regular size one or the like 12 inch? No, I mean, it's, it's one that doesn't move. So it's, uh, it's not one of the posable figures. Oh, it's uh, the PVC style. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have any of those. I do have. I do have the, the, uh, the regular, I, I don't have any of the big guys, but I do have the regular Geigen and King Ghidorah. And Godzilla. I don't have Anguirus because that's one of the ones that's impossible to find, of course. But yes, uh, <laughs> but uh, but in any event, so so this was one that I like. My brother remembers seeing it on TV, but this one was not on TV a lot when I was a kid. So this was one that I had read about and and I just never had really seen. And then one year for Christmas, I was in probably the seventh or eighth grade. It was before high school, I want to say. My my parents got me the remaining ones that I needed on, on VHS that were available. And Godzilla versus Gigan was one of them. So I got it for Christmas. So I watched it during Christmas break. So I always, always associate this movie with the month of December and Christmas time 
specifically. Because that was the first time I remember sitting down to watch it and, you know, not just maybe catching a bit of it, not realizing it on on TV. So to me, this is this is a December movie. So that's why I had to Mm. cover it in December. And um, and, you know, it's one of those ones that um, now I have the I still have it. Actually, it's the old Star Maker VHS, which is. Oh, yeah, that was the one I had. Yes. Beautiful VHS. One of my favorites, just looking tapes, great cover, even though it's it's pretty inaccurate in some some <laughs> respects. They got the priestess from uh, Godzilla's Mech Godzilla on there, I think. But uh, um, but I but I watched that VHS and I was, you know, it's like I loved Gigan. I was such a big Gigan fan. I loved Anguirus. And the film, it's weird because I liked it, but I I didn't like it at the same time. But I always was just glad to have it. And uh, this is one that I now own three different versions of. Oh, wow. And I, because I, I have that VHS, I have the Kraken releasing DVD, and now I also have the Criterion Blu-ray. And I feel like my affection for the film has grown as I've gotten it in cleaner and cleaner versions. Because that VHS is a little rough because a lot oh. of this movie takes place at night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trust and... me. Uh, trust me. I remember getting VHSs and watching them and like, hmm. I mean, it, the one of the things that I learned once I started upgrading to DV, my collection to DVDs is I started to realize just how horribly cropped these movies were oh, yes. on VHS because there was yep. so much from the frame in the frame that you weren't seeing. There's a, a lot of information that gets chopped, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I think Mechagodzilla '74 it was the one that probably suffered the most. Yes. But this one, I mean, when because uh, I watched it actually again on my way here on the SY3 and I will tell you what I it's been a little bit since I've seen it before and I've just thought oh my gosh I forgot how much got cropped out <laughs> yeah 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 and and what's funny is you mentioned uh, Mechagodzilla 74 I'm very much looking forward to watching that one on the uh on on that Criterion set because I I have been watching them until I'm ready to cover them because that's another one that I I originally had on on VHS from Star Maker mm-hmm. and then you know, I've up slowly been upgrading copies, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that, that was, you know, so uh, that one, that origin has always kind of stuck with me and I always associated with this. So watching it, um, as we got ready for this, watching with my kids actually in the month of December, it brought a big smile to my face and it kind of brought me back to uh, a simpler time in my yes. life. Um, it's now, only slightly less of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, you know, it's not the not the other thing I associate with Christmas that has really nothing to do with Christmas is not the film, but the soundtrack to Pulp Fiction. <laughs> because when I was in high school, that movie came out in 1994. I was a freshman in high school. My girlfriend got me the album for Christmas. So I always again oh. listen to it so I think of it around Christmas time, you know. Uh, but, but again, that, that's a whole other different podcast that has nothing to do with anything, but uh, yes. <laughs> now, now we, we talked about our origins for this film. This film itself has a fairly, fairly fascinating origin. And, a kind uh, of a complicated one, which yes. if you would like to hear, was we obviously were, we don't have the time to go into the full detail because there's a lot of things we could talk about, but Danny DeMana of the Godzilla novelization project he and I did a presentation at G-Fest that, in part, talked about this because we did a presentation on Takeshi Kimura and Shinichi Sekizawa, the screenwriters who were, they were the go-to screenwriters for Toho in the Showa era for most of it. 
And this is, it's not the only movie that they more or less worked on together, but this is the only Godzilla film that they worked on together. Yes. Yeah. And, and what's, and what's, what's really kind of fascinating is that as, as kind of in some ways kind of cobbled together, this film feels sometimes you can (laughs) see aspects of both of their work in it. And to me, that's, that's really, that's really telling, you know, for a Mm -hmm. film that, that wears its commercial origins on its sleeve almost proudly that there is that this streak of, um, you know, of subversiveness. There's a streak of intelligence in this film that you don't expect. And, yeah. And does it doesn't even need to be there, frankly, but it, but it's no. there. And, and upon repeated viewings, you start to, it, it starts to really work itself out on you. You know, uh, in, uh, in David Callett's A Critical History and Filmography of Total oh, I love that book. Series, great book. <laughs> he makes reference to the fact that the chairman calls Gengo. He refers to him as uh, cunning but stupid. Yes. You know? and, <laughs> no, and he's, uh, he's, he's stupid yet cunning. Yeah. Stupid yet cunning. That's Although it. the and, Criterion subtitles had it as foolish yet cunning. But what? Foolish whatever. yet cunning. <laughs> Either one of those. Callot then goes on to say, he goes, this, the, this assessment could just as easily apply to Godzilla versus Gigan, a severely flawed movie with an incongruously intelligent streak. Yeah. Well, like, here, because here's the, yeah, well, here's how I like to look at it. I mean, there's a lot of things I could say about this script. The way Danny and I broke it down, it, when you're, talk, you're talking about the influences of Sekizawa and Kimura, which we'll get into a little bit more once we start talking about the origin, but the way we liked to look at it, the way we, the conclusion we came to was that you have Sekizawa heroes, so Gango, his girlfriend, and uh, and Corncob Hippie, and yeah. <laughs> that, that, which is just great, as as a born and raised Hoosier, I love the fact that this guy <laughs> mugs Gango with a corn cob. <laughs> but Shosaku uh, Sh- 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 is such a great character. Yes, he really yes, he is. is. And he's, yes, he's he got is. the most incredible wardrobe. Yes, you know? he does. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you have Sekizawa heroes going up against very Kimura-like villains. Mm. But like I said, we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, yep. As for the script itself, I mean, the movie is definitely suffers from its low budget. Yep. The suits are recycled other than Geigen. They made Geigen as a new suit. They're old. They're worn out. Uh, or the marionettes, just all the monster props mm-hmm. are other than Geigen. They're all recycled. So they're all beat up and old. I mean, this was the fifth movie this Godzilla suit was in. Right. The fifth movie. They have been using the same one since Destroy All Monsters. Yeah. So. And it really shows. I mean, and there's, I mean. Towards the, I mean, towards the third, the beginning of the third act, there are literally bits of the suit flying off. And in Blu-ray, it's plain as day. Yeah, which honestly, I still think, given the context, at that point, you know, Godzilla had been getting his butt kicked for about 15 minutes. So I'm willing to let that slide. But, and then there's stock footage in it. Other than one track, the soundtrack is all recycled from previous movies. So the fact that they credit... Akira Fukube in this is really just to acknowledge the fact that they recycled his music. Yep. Although I will say, considering that it, all the music, almost all the music is recycled, my gosh, did they recycle it in the right places? My, they really just, did. I'm just saying. Yeah. So that, there's that, all of you know, we we talked about this when we did uh, 
when we did uh, Battle in Outer Space, but just the opening theme alone seems like it was written for this film. It fits I know. so well. <laughs> and then you're like, but, but, but wait, you know? <laughs> yes. But anyway, so there's all of these things that are hampering it all because of its budget. However, and I, this is not my favorite of the Showa era movies. It's high on my list, but it's not quite my favorite. But this is the one that I have decided I will go out of my way to champion. Because this is a grossly underestimated movie. And I think it's in large part because everyone just looks at its technical flaws and they ignore how good this script is. Yeah. Yeah, This honestly might be one of Sekizawa's finest scripts. And I will go to the mat on that. (laughs) I will fight anyone who wants to get get it on with me about that. Well, the the thing to me about about Sekizawa's contributions here is I always kind of tend to ascribe some of the irreverence, some of the subversive aspects to Sekizawa in this. Oh, yes. So the one this that's very much a satire, all this stuff about commercialism, how you saying it's wearing on its sleeve. I think it's a, I honestly think this is a meta commentary and it's a satirical oh, yeah. meta commentary that Sekizawa is doing on purpose. And this is very yeah. much the sort of thing that he would do. He liked satire. And I I mean, it's all over the place. And I would not be surprised if that first scene with Gengo, if Sekizawa was in the same place at one point, pitching ideas. Trust me, uh, I'm a writer. I know all about this. I know what it's like to deal with editors. (laughs) Mm. So, you know, it's like, here's my idea for a monster and all that. And I, and at this point, Sekizawa was quoted as saying, you know, cause they Toho kept asking him this, you know, at this point he had been doing this for over a decade and he's still one of the go-to guys at Toho. And he's like, all the monsters have been done. I got nothing, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he did, wasn't quite sure what to do. And I think that got channeled into this. Yeah. So it, but, you know, yeah, but even, then, even I mean, look, there's yeah, so but, many things we could point to. Yeah. The one that I always like about this is that we are, so, so there's a couple of different things working here. So Jun Fukuda is our director. And psychologically, I always think Jun Fukuda, I think of youth, you know? His yes. films always have such a youthful vibe to him. You get the idea that he would have been rather doing, what, young guy, right? Rather than doing yeah, that yeah, song that anyway. Yeah, that was the series that he was known for. But right. I, and it shows. I mean, he. Oh, you look at all of his Godzilla films. He tends to have younger actors, and he's really good with young actors. Well, here's here's the weird thing about that. So I always like said I always associate Fukuda with youth, and this film is one of the key levers for that, in my opinion. Right? You look at Gengo, and he's an artist, and you think of him as a younger character. He's hipper. He's got uh, a younger haircut. He's you know a little bit more stylish compared to the heroes that we might have gotten in the 60s. So I did a little comparison. So I went back to my favorite Godzilla film of the 60s, which is Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, okay? Mm-hmm. And our hero in that is Detective Shindo, who's played by uh, Yosuke Natsuki. Now, Natsuki was 28 when he made Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. Huh. Hiroshi, Hiroshi Ishikawa, who plays Gengo, you want to take a guess how old he was when he made Godzilla versus Gigant? Do I, do I want to be, uh, you know... Uh, accurate here or do I because I this feels like a leading question I'm going to say 35 <laughs> 35 that's exactly oh right. my gosh I was 30. just grabbing a number <laughs> yes so Gengo was seven years older than Shindo you've got but, to be kidding me he looks but, like he just 
He's fresh out of college. I understand. <laughs> I know, right? But then, but think about it also. Shindo is a police detective. Shindo is out there on the mountain risking his life to save the princess. Shindo reads as an older character because he's a more traditional type of straight hero for this type of uh, monster science fiction film. Whereas Gengo, Gengo, you know, the, there's a line in, uh, in uh, Garfield's Thanksgiving, of all things, where John says, <laughs> I'm a man, Garfield. And Garfield says, well, you're a wimpy man. But yeah, sure, you're a man. That's, <laughs> that's Gengo, right? He's a man. <laughs> But he's a wimp, you know. <laughs> but he's a lovable one. He's a lovable <laughs> wimp. But but I'm saying that he is an atypical hero, right? Yeah. And so I so I, so I took this one step further, and I used the same comparison, and I looked at the heroines. So uh, Yuriko Hoshi, who uh, just actually, as we're recording this, it was her birthday a couple of days ago. She passed away yes. a few years ago. Yes, she played Naoko, uh, Shindo's mm-hmm. sister, the reporter from Geeter mm-hmm. Three Headed Monster. Mm-hmm. Hoshi mm-hmm. was was 21. When she okay. played Naoko. Now, mm-hmm. Yuriko Hashimi, who plays Tomoko in this film, she was 25. So okay. a little bit older, but still the same age. So the, the women are, are still about the same age. But as, as much as Naoko is pointed to as, look at, look at this positive female role for a, a, a heroic female character in a Japanese film in the 60s. She's the reporter. She's active. She's actively trying to get the princess out. She's She's got her own agency, her own motivation. Tomoko, she's the action hero of this piece. Yes! I mean, you want to talk about subversion? We're got, com- it's, it's a total role reversal here. <laughs> I, I absolutely love when she comes into their apartment and she just starts chopping the aliens and throwing them around. And then later when they're, when she and Gengo are running up the stairs of the Godzilla tower and he, it starts out with him in front. And if you, and it's, it's so it's clear as day now on the Blu-ray that you can see, they run a couple of flights and he's in front of her. And then he starts slowing down and she passes him yep. until finally he's like, I could go no further. And she goes, I thought you were a man. <laughs> and just starts dragging him up. And so, yeah, so that, but that to me, like you say, that is, that that type of kind of putting things on its ear, that's that's Sekizawa. And that to me, that I didn't appreciate that when I was first watching this film at like 12 or 13, as a 40-year-old man, that is hilarious to me. And I love it. I love that they take the roles and change them around. And that now instead of the, you know, police detective or reporter or scientist hero, you've got a guy who's an artist. He's creative, you know, he he can think He's his clever. way through things. He's clever, yeah. but he's not an action hero by any no, stretch. No, uh, it's in a weird way, and this might be a, I just thought of this, and this might be a very strange comparison to make, honestly, but in a way, it's like Gengo is the doctor from Doctor Who. He's not really an action hero, but he's really clever, so he yeah. outwits his mm-hmm. opponents as opposed yeah. to using violence. Yeah. The, the way that Gengo ultimately defeats the uh, M space hunter nebula. Um, I just uh, call aliens, them the nebulans. The nebulans. <laughs> the way that he ultimately defeats them is with the talents that he has, right? He's an artist. So he defeats them with art, which is, which is wonderfully seventies, <laughs> isn't it? I love the scene where they say, well, we need to come up with a plan. And then at the scene cuts, so you don't know what their plan is. Yeah. And not until, but the next scene. And I, I just, I'm just sitting here picturing Gango sitting there going, okay, so the first thing I need is a giant piece of paper so I can draw really quickly, draw really nice caricatures of all of us. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> At which point, I'm just wondering, did that general just be like, okay, we can do yeah. that? Or is it like, you are crazy. <laughs> you know what the general's thinking? Let's go with this. I'm trying to get fired. This is a good <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, at this point... This is one of the things I love about this movie. No one is surprised by monsters anymore. It's just like they're just used to it. So they're listening in on the on Gigan and Ghidorah coming, and the general says, "Oh, that one I recognize. That's Ghidorah. Oh, that one's the other one's new. I don't know that one." (laughs) So it's and when they come in, it's like there are cockroach aliens in the Godzilla Tower. He doesn't question him. He's just like, "Mm, "Okay." It's like, "Well, how we? This uh, this is Tuesday, right?" So. And, and, uh, but, and, and the thing I, and I do like this, I do like this also in Zad, a lot of times you hear, it's like, oh, well, this is a throwback to the alien invasion movies of the sixties. And it is absolutely. It does use that motif, but I, I, I've always liked, even, even to the, going back to my earliest viewings, I always liked that it, it, it t- takes on the ecological theme from mm-hmm. Petra, the idea that the, that there, that there was a, that the planet, the Nebulans were from was a lot like earth and it's been ruined and destroyed. And now they're going to relocate here because we're just going to destroy our planet anyway. Yeah. So I do like that bit as well, because you know, the, the idea of, because the Exians, they wanted our planet for water, mm-hmm. you know, which and is a the, very simple and direct reason to honestly invade someone else's territory. You have a resource that we need right. or that Whereas, we want at the very least. Yeah. Right. Whereas here, between here and then the uh, the black hole aliens, it was the idea of, well, we, you know, there, there's this aspect of they have a right to survival also. Mm-hmm. And you're, if you're just going to waste the planet, we have a right to come in here and take it. Well, and, and the thing that makes it interesting is that the Nebulans are kind of tragic because the fact that their planet is dying is not their fault. Exactly. They said that there was another species. They were the dominant species. They're a lot like you humans and they screwed everything up. They died out and we essentially inherited, you know, it's like inheriting a rundown house and it's impossible to fix. It's covered in mold and there's nothing you can do other than just put up with it and eventually demolish it. So again, like you said, they're saying we have a right to survive. And I think honestly, the fact that they're always talking about peace. Yes. I think there's there's a deeper thing going on there than I think people realize. Because I get the impression that these nebulans, they're not like the the simians, black hole aliens or whatever. They're very warlike. Yes. The, the Exians are very deceptive. The Keylocks, or as we call them on Monster Island, the Disco Space Nuns. The Space Nuns, yeah. Yeah. They are incredibly arrogant. These guys, the impression I get from them is that they are very weary. Yeah. They are just like, we don't, all we want is a place to live. We want peace because from where we come from, it was destroyed by at least implicitly war and certainly pollution. We just want to rest. We don't want to deal with that anymore. Right. And it has a tinge of sadness to them, I think. Well, it, it, it goes to, like you say, the tragedy actually is the better way to put it. Yeah, I would agree with that because it goes also to the difference in how they drive the story. The Exians, besides using the monsters of mass destruction, one of Sekizawa's favorite, uh, you know, motifs. Yes. They, they get directly involved. They use their, their saucers 
and directly attack. You know, the, the Keylocks, they bring out the, the fire dragon at the end of Destroy All Monsters, and they directly get involved. Even the simians, really, they, their main thing is a tool, a machine that they built that they use to, to go forth and attack. Whereas here, they're going to control the two space monsters, but that, you know, they, they don't take a lot of direct action. Uh, you know, their only direct action, the only person they directly attack is Godzilla. They don't directly yes. attack humanity. They're directly, they're saying, well, if we kill Godzilla, our plan works. And I mm -hmm. do like that too, because the chairman reminds me a lot of the controller in that the controller plan. In a X way. Has a, yeah. in, that, in that they're both very much about the plan mm -hmm. and that they never, the only time that they get flustered is when the plan was going according to plan and something they didn't predict happens. Which again, mm -hmm. at Sekizawa using his own stuff, right? If you're going to rip off something, rip off the best. You know, rip yeah. off yourself. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but, there's, but, a, there's but a line. There's a go ahead. Uh, go for it. I was going to say that there's a line the chairman says when, uh, when Godzilla and Anguirus first arrive and, um, and the director says, Godzilla has appeared. And the chairman says, this is all, th that, as is stated in the plan, I think is the ex line he says. So it's like, we knew this is the plan. It's like, I don't, like, stay with me. Don't panic. This is the plan. The plan is he has to be here because we have to get the monsters to lure him here to kill him. Mm -hmm. And it's very mm -hmm. much, it's like, we, I've calculated everything, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is a, a definitely a theme, especially in the Showa era for the our at least the aliens, the Setopians. Well, we hardly know anything about the Setopians, but we know they've got a fantastic sense of fashion with the togas and the Megalon headbands. <laughs> There's so many jokes there, but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, the they're very dependent on technology, and once you disrupt their technology, all of these aliens really. Yeah. They don't know what to do with themselves. And then right. they're defeated by human ingenuity. Mm -hmm. yep. And I think that's that says something. And this was at a point when technology was really, you know, the 60s and 70s. Technology was really starting to advance very quickly. And I think science fiction writers were picking up on that. And they started writing stories about how this dependence on technology can and if we don't stop it, will be our undoing. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they come right out and say it here in the, in the third act of this film, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's the moral of the story. Yeah. I know people make fun of these movies for that. The seventies films in particular were a little bit guilty of moralizing at the end, but let's be honest. There's a lot of classic science fiction media that did that anyway. I mean, come on. Every oh, yeah. episode of star Trek did that, but you know, yes. I don't mind it here. I think it also is helped by the fact that now we can watch the uncut Japanese version with yes. much better subtitles. Yes, I mean, that's... people, people have ragged on the criterion Blu-ray set. And I'm, I, I will admit a lot of the criticisms are valid, but one of the things that I wish more people would talk about is how much better the subtitles are in these oh, yeah. movies because yeah. of them. And I think the, the subtitles in this, thanks to Criterion, I think elevate the movie a little bit more because it is so much better. It's a better representation of I, what the creators of the movie intended. I, I agree with that. Now, there's two things that jump out to me when you mention the subtitles track. One is that... What one one is a one is a very specific one. One's a more general topic. On a more specific one, I real you know I remember when 
this was the Sony DVD came out, which was the first time you could get the Japanese track, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, well, I still have that one in my personal collection. Yeah. See that one I never owned because I couldn't afford it when it came out. So I, I was like, well, I still got my VHS, but that is of course, uh, in the very beginning of the film after Gengo is unsuccessful at selling Shukra and uh, Mamagon. <laughs> monster of homework, homework. <laughs> I, lo- I do love the editor. Scared of. Now, okay, I, I just want to go on a small sure. tangent here before you get to your point. I think the oh, his goofy monsters is actually part of the satire in this because their meanings are are obvious and right on the nose, so they're easy to market. Why do you exactly. think that the comic book editor turns him down? But then, I mean, it was probably part of their larger scheme, but are uh kabota not the tractor company but (laughs) the secretary to the chairman hires him when he says i have these two monsters because it's easy to market that's another part of the satire these guys are corporations yeah so i mean that to me the you know the 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 theme of this film of monsters as commodities as intellectual property yeah you know that they they, i mean uh, yeah kabota comes right out yeah because that's, that's what has become to of Godzilla at this point. And I think right. Sekizawa is pointing that out. I, I mean, it's illustrated. I don't think people realize this. You know, later on in the movie, when you have Godzilla coming face to face with the Godzilla tower, and he's even hitting his head like, what the heck am I looking at? And yeah. because that is essentially this commercialized caricature of the right. real thing. And then it nearly kills him. Yeah. And well, it's, it's not yeah, until it's, the tower is destroyed. That Godzilla, as you would say in the you know the pro wrestling world, he finally finds his uh, baby face fire again, yeah. and then you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the thing, but but you know, you think about the idea of and what what's incredible to me about that, and I'll get back to my earlier point later, and I, we'll, we'll put a pin, we'll put a pin in that about the the <laughs> subtitles. But what's incredible about that is that if anything. That for firstly, it was Sekizawa's work in the 60s that started that. The idea of taking the monsters and not having them just be heavies, of having them have personality and character and traits and flaws that let the audience identify with them and gave them permanence. That's what created the characters of Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan and King Ghidorah. That, and because they had permanence and the audience could identify with them either as the hero or the villain, that's why they were able to sell merchandise mm-hmm. of them. That's yeah. why they became intellectual property and not just a heavy to be killed by the humans at the end of the film. So Sekizawa, it's in, again, in this case, I'm, again, we're ascribing a lot of this to Sekizawa, but they're pointing out this is what we created. Mm-hmm. This this is our monster, literally, that we made, that we mm-hmm. now have to tell stories that, um, you know, uh, that basically are, uh, you know, Tomiyuki Tanaka wants this to aim at to entertain kids who are the main audience here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, and there's definite real world parallels at this point with this because I, I'm trying to remember, uh, there was a Disney park, I'm trying to remember, that opened right around this time, like a year or two before this. It wasn't, I think it might have been Tokyo Disney. I'm not sure. And you want to talk about rampant commercialism. You look at Disney and it turns all of its intellectual properties into these big attractions that people go to at a theme park. And that's what this is. It's a theme park that's supposed to be about monsters. 
but they're the in-universe monsters, and they're like, we're gonna make these into commodities, and yeah. our our centerpiece is gonna be the Godzilla Tower. Yeah, and, it's and rampant commercialism, and it's. I mean, it, which is nothing new. Satirizing this is nothing new. Look at King Kong versus Godzilla, the Japanese yeah. cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, that or was at, yeah, that God, was a or, satirization of commercialism, and this is right. honestly just picking up on that theme. But it's doing it in a very '70s sort of way. This was the point where a lot of American corporations were penetrating the Japanese market, McDonald's, and all that. I, I, I was why I, I honestly think and. This might have been a more of a Kimura thing because <laughs> Kimura was a card-carrying communist. So yes, yeah, I was going to say uh, a lot not of a fan a lot of capitalism, of obviously. So oh. these corporations oh. are breaking in, and so they're cockroaches. Yeah. What 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 do you know about cockroaches? They get everywhere, and you can't kill them. I mean, so that's how he's, and so these corporate these corporatists, this mysterious foreign corporation from Switzerland, right, are cockroaches. Yeah, I and, mean. It, it's no. the layers just keep getting deeper, man. <laughs> That's why I'm saying this is right. such an underestimated movie. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot to this. What's incredible to me now is watching this in 2020. It almost seems more on the nose now with yeah. the nature of the way that because in the 70s, yes, you still you did have the beginnings of of a lot of the this, the the, uh, the the larger corporations starting to grow exponentially, but we're nothing like we've seen today. What Disney was in 1972 is a shadow of what Disney is in oh, 2020. Geez, yes. The amount of intellectual property that Disney controls and molds public taste with. Okay, you're what um, you know. It was it was a big deal when Warner Brothers bought DC Comics. I mean, AT and T owns them now. I mean, you know, there, there's this, 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 now you're talking about giga corporations, not even mega corporations, and the idea of taking something that is a disruptive force, and that's why it's popular, because it it was a market disruption, and now it's owned from a corporate standpoint, and it's homogenized and sanitized and pasteurized and put out there for public consumption because it makes money. I know. Exactly I, I mean, the that's the. Are doing. And that's the dis- thing. Yeah. The you know, 18 this is 18 years after the first Godzilla film. And Godzilla has gone from an atomic allegory to the action figure you can buy your kid. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, literally it, in the previous film, think the about kid that. was playing with Godzilla toys. And yes. not just Godzilla toys, he was playing with at least one King Ghidorah toy in the previous film, too. I know. It's weird to even think about that, you know, and the and the ultra series do that a yes. lot too. Yeah, you know, it's just like every, they're they're commercializing yeah. themselves in universe. It's kind of nuts to think about that. That is that is an absolute fantastic scene when uh, it's in the original. I forget the name of the episode. It's when Geronimon brings back all the monsters, and Pigmon ends up in the department store with all the ultra toys around him. That is that is just I I'm, I'm amazing, absolutely amazing. But yes. uh, but yeah, but the but you know the the but that I mean that's what God, that's what all these monsters are. The monsters on Monster Island are a disruptive force, and it's like okay, well we'll we'll make safe versions of them for the public to consume, and then we'll just kill them off. And it's like no. wait, what? And it and it and it's it's it the the, the you know Kubota says it with such conviction. And just tosses it out there. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? But now, you know, again, you you think about that in a boardroom. It's like, oh yeah, we'll 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 buy that and we'll just make new versions of it and we'll just sell it out. We'll we'll sell it. You know, fill in whatever property you love 
that now you feel is no longer doing that because it's now owned and being turned into a corporate item, a corporate intellectual property, whether it's, I mean, this is apropos of nothing, whether it's Marvel comics, DC comics, star Wars, star Trek, uh, you know, walking dead, whatever, everything now is intellectual property. Everything now is a brand. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that is on Twitter for crying out loud. Yeah. The (laughs) only thing I can think of that, isn't quite like that. Maybe it's something like maybe image comics where all of the titles are creator owned. Yes. But, but that's but about it. And that was, that was images that, thing that. at their start and it's still their thing now. Yeah. Although I kind of wonder if they're getting a little bit big headed because now they're like, we own the walking dead. And yeah, <laughs> well, that, well, that's what I'm saying. Even then you can look at, it, it's like how much of the walking dead is really Robert Kirkman anymore. Now that he's stopped doing the comic. Yeah. How much of that is, oh, well, you know, whoa, 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 Walking Dead's a brand now. We have spinoff shows and spinoff books and merch and and Lego toys for it. Not Lego, but building toys for it. And anything yeah. you can and, imagine. And now like, Negan is, that... is in Tekken 7. Yeah. Because. Uh, right. So, oh. I, I mean, yes. Is Robert Kirkman getting a paycheck? Yes. But is that still not a brand that's being exploited by its corporate masters? It's getting away from what the original intent of the property was? You know, so it's like watching this movie in 2020. Again, the technical parts really stand out, but the 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 written portions of it really do stand out. Is like there's more going on here than I ever would have gotten as a preteen when I was the target audience for the film. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Speaking of writing, you were saying about subtitles. So the two things with the subtitles, one is right at the beginning when Gengo, after he is rejected from the, uh, the manga publisher and Tomoko is, uh, is, is basically giving him another assignment out of her book to go find work. And in the dub, he calls her a very inappropriate name. Oh, and, I hated that in the dub. Yeah. And what I hated it because it makes their relationship seem so belligerent. By the way, there are still some people in the fandom who seem to think that these two were brother and sister. Like what planet are you from that? You thought they were brother and sister, No, (laughs) but But, so so that what's, what's even more crazy is that now, again, when I was 12, I thought that was edgy that he calls her. Edgelord extreme. Well, again, I w- again, but you know, now looking at it as adult, it's like, that's first off, I find it inappropriate for the character. I find it's like, she's the one that's because if left to your own devices, Genko, you would literally be doing nothing. So, you know, th- there's a reason why she's driving you to improve. Secondly, I don't think it's appropriate for the audience. You know, I don't think that yeah. the target audience of this film needs to hear that. Whereas in the Japanese one, he calls her, he goes, Mamagon. And at that point, we haven't really been introduced to Mamagon yes. yet. Here's the thing. I think that was a meme at this point because there are, because both return of Ultraman, because I've been going through the Ultraman shows on the Island, got to archive them for the, yep. for the fault and both return of Ultraman and Ultraman ACE use the same word in reference to mothers who yeah. are overbearing. So I think it's a meme. <laughs> yeah, it's something, but, uh, <laughs> but in any event, he called, and, and what's, what's really ridiculous is that, if you go back to the web 1.0, early web 2.0 version of the Godzilla community, there were people mad that they changed that on the subs and that he doesn't call her the, the, the derisive term anymore. Yes. On the subs. It's like he never did. 
That was only yeah. in the dub that he yeah. did that. He, I mean, if you look at it in context where he's, you know, he's essentially calling her an overbearing mother. If we go by yeah. the meaning of the meme. It, it's more like he's saying, oh, you're such a nag, you know, something like yeah. that. It's so much more benign. And honestly, it makes sense for his character to just be like, oh, my gosh, you were being so annoying. I love you, but you're <laughs> annoying. And, you know, right now, because like I just got turned down by another editor. I know I need to get a job, but will you stop bothering me right now? But he obviously doesn't quite yeah. have the guts to say that to her because no. black belt and karate. So that is, yes, that is so great. Like, what was you know, that? Do you want so, to repeat I mean, that? I will, no, no, I will no, admit, no. I'd be a little scared too. But. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I do love that Tomoko wears the same blouse the entire movie. You know, there, there are yeah. certain, you, know, you watch some he movie. pokes fun at her for it because he may uses her as the model when he's drawing yeah. Mamaka. And then Wait, well, that's then another she, spot where the, where the dub and the subtitles are different. Yes, where she, where she says, you made me a monster and in the sub, whereas the dub, now I do love the dub. That but, is Okay, that line said, in the dub is funny because it comes yeah. across as playful. Yes, because she's kind of, she's not angry, but she's, you cheeky pig. Which, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> spoilers. That spoilers. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers, that's the name of this episode. But yeah, that, yes. <laughs> that one. Okay, her Tomoko calling Genko a cheeky pig, that is something that a girlfriend would call her boyfriend when she's ticked at him. Yes. You know? <laughs> that one makes more sense. But um, yeah. yeah. I I want to I want to know if Toho ever regretted whoever it was they hired to do the dub for this cuz I, I think it was just done in Hong Kong. I don't know what yes. company did. It was just out of Hong Kong. I wonder if they ever regretted it cuz they're like, "Oh my gosh, yeah. you people." <laughs> well the thing and and to, unfortunately this 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 movie when it was released by cinema shares in the US as Godzilla on Monster Island it predates which, me which is another reason that this is a momentous occasion for your show because the original Japanese title of this movie is where you got the name of your show that's exactly right this is the first time that Monster Island appears in film which is where I get the name of my show <laughs> It's it's a thing of beauty, man. It all it all comes together. It's like a it's like a carousel, up and down and around, circular, <laughs> circular. But uh, I did did I I'm I'm not I I don't know this for a fact, but I don't know. Did Cinema Shares cut that bit because they cut every bit of blood and violence out of their movies? If they, they did, I don't know because I've only ever seen the uncut version. Yeah, the um. Now, the other big the other thing I want to mention about the subtitles is that what struck me is that as improved as the subs are on the Criterion Blu-ray versus the Kraken DVD, how closely like individual lines of dialogue change here and there. But how closely the story really hues to the original, because this was not like AIP or Titra doing their own dub for the U.S. This was the dub that Toho commissioned, as you said, in Hong Kong, just to have an international dub. And by this point, outfits like Cinema Shares were buying these movies as cheaply as possible. And if mm -hmm. you commission your own dub, that's money that you got to spend. Whereas, hey, the movie's already in English, guys. We can just release it. So that what I, I do find that was pretty, you know, you I always thought this one got changed more than it did. But it's like, no, the the very, like, Again, some of the details are different here and there, and some of the lines of dialogue are not as not as thoughtful, or maybe a little bit um, a little bit more shallow. But generally speaking, the story is very much in line. There's not they're not they're not going into business for themselves on most of this dub, 
which is, uh, you know, I, I obviously I prefer to watch subtitles if I can, but I said, I watched this with my, my kids and for the older ones, they can do the subs, the younger ones, it's, it goes, sometimes goes a little too fast for them to read. So we generally watch dubs when I watch with the kids. And so it, it's like, well, okay, well this, they're still getting the same story. You know, they're still getting the same, the same story about the, you know, the nebulans coming to earth, coming to earth because of their planet and all that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the, the conundrum that you, I think a lot of people start running into is, you know, cause the subtitled versions are closer, I would say to what the original Japanese creators intended, but at the yeah. same time, the target audience for a lot of these can't keep up with the subtitles because they don't yeah. have the reading ability yet, which right. I think is one of the tragedies, unfortunately, with uh, with Mill Creek's Ultraman releases is because they're all subtitled. I was like, but right. th- these are, the, you know, the target audiences for these shows are children. Yeah. But unless you know Japanese, you're, you know, up the creek at this point. So, yeah, uh, it, it's got to be frustrating (laughs) it is it is for me because i'd love to i i have the old mill creek uh dvds of ultraman and those have the 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 dubs from yeah i have that as well yeah but some of these later it's like yeah not got nothing it's at the point where it's like i'm glad like the current ultra galaxy series has an english language version because at least if i do want to watch it with the kids we can watch it Mm -hmm. you know not Are you talking that about uh, a, absolute conspiracy, the absolute conspiracy, not, not yeah. that the absolute conspiracy has like a super deep plot at this point, as we're recording this, it's pretty no. straightforward, but <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's fun. It's definitely oh, it's, fun. You know? But, yeah. And you know, it's fan servicey as all heck, but oh, you know, yeah. and I'm just loving it because they're really featuring the, the, the English language ultras in this, which just makes me yes. happy because I, I'm one of those weirdos who has a soft spot for Ultraman powered fight me. So <laughs> I don't have, I don't have, I mean, and I like a, great too, but yeah, I was going to say yeah. great is the great was the first Ultraman I ever saw. Cause that first Ultraman, my introduction to Ultraman was towards the future. So uh, see the, yeah. my introduction to Ultraman was reading G fan and then catching Tiga. Ah. So, Tiga yes. was my first real ultra. So I'm going to be really excited when Tiga gets released by Mill Creek. Oh, especially considering that, what was it? They, they were the four volumes of the four kids and volume three oh, was impossible to find. It's like, what the heck? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but anyway, back to Godzilla yeah. versus guy. So the, the, the other, the other big change talking about the Japanese version versus the English version, the one that I think everybody knows is, you know, the monsters talking. And oh. we've talked about we talked about Gengo being a manga artist. We've talked about, or just an artist in general, trying to get into manga. How this um, and this film is in many ways a comic book movie, right down yes. to said, the yes. The, the as hero- I was telling you before we uh, before we started recording, there yeah. are because one of the things that people don't appreciate in this is again, you know, suffers because of its budget. But Jun Fukuda and Teriyoshi Nakano. They know how to use a camera. The mm-hmm. cinematography in this is top notch. And there are frames in this movie during the monster battles that if you froze that, you throw a little Kirby magic on it, you have the cover for a comic book. Yeah. One one which springs to mind immediately is when Gaigan drags the defeated Godzilla and dumps him at King Ghidorah's feet. 
Mm-hmm. And then you see the shot of all three of them with Godzilla laid out with his arm draped across his chest mm-hmm. and the two space monsters celebrating that that is featured uh, as one of the one of the uh, still frames on the back of that Star Maker VHS, mm-hmm. and that that's just such an intriguing shot. That's again, that's a comic book cover. Mm-hmm. There's the one know, that I, the my go to one is because it, it, it's such a just such a, a you know, an amazingly composed shot, and that is where you've got Angerus uh, toward the bottom of the frame, and he's got Geigen standing in front of him between and uh, towering over him, and then off in the background is Godzilla getting blasted by the Godzilla Tower. Yes. And so Gigan is keeping Angerus from running over there and saving Godzilla. And I'm just like, just freeze frame that. That's a comic book cover yeah. right and, there. And, you know, like, I don't know, Godzilla versus Gigan, the miniseries issue yeah. three right there. Well, and, right. you know, it's. <laughs> yeah. And it, and, and the, even given the technical limitations, because King Ghidorah is the one a lot of people point to in this, because unfortunately, Nakano just could not afford to hire enough people to, to, to manipulate King Ghidorah the way he needs to be manipulated on screen. It just comes down to that. It's literally manpower. There's not mm-hmm. enough manpower to move all the wires that are required to bring King Ghidorah to life. That is why in some of the early uh, scripts that were developed, uh, Rodan and Varan were considered and ultimately dropped. Uh, Varan was an odd one because there wasn't a Varan suit in any condition to be used right now. There was only uh, honestly, I think that was just Sekizawa getting a little nostalgic because he's like, that was yeah. the first kaiju movie I ever wrote for Toho. But then, <laughs> but Rodan is the one that makes sense. If you think about that originally there were three space monsters in Sekizawa's version and in Kimura's version, there were three space monsters. And then you have um, three earth monsters. It would make sense that one of them would be Rodan, right? He's, you know, mm-hmm. Godzilla's a long time earth monster ally, but Rodan is in the same boat as King Ghidorah. We need multiple, multiple hands to manipulate his fl- flying prop. So that's mm-hmm. how Angurus gets to Naga's Angurus doesn't nav as much. But even given that technical limitations, there are some some wonderfully moody shots that Fukuda and Nakano put together when Gigan and King Ghidorah are destroying. Right towards the end of that sequence, before the uh, the heroic monsters arrive, there's a bit where Gigan turns and faces the camera after he smashed one of the overpasses, and out of the f- the smoke above him, we see King Ghidorah emerge. Yes, and it's like again because King Ghidorah's wings are not flapping. And his neck, or they're flapping, his wings are, but his necks are not all bouncing around. He mm-hmm. looks menacing. He looks really menacing in that shot. There are times when he looks just stiff and, you know, comical, but there where he's emerging from the black smoke as they're destroying everything, he really does look menacing. And you get a, a little bit of the old King Ghidorah magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you almost mm-hmm. get the feeling that, you know, in an, in an alternate universe where either A, they could afford a couple other uh, effects uh, workers to get King Ghidorah more animated or B that this had starred another alien. If this had starred like Megalon or another, alien, yes, because Megalon, monster. a monster named Megalon was in the scripts. Yes. Uh, I think it was Kimura's script. So, but it was just a name. It wasn't the weirdo beetle God thing. It was just Megalon, a name. The monster was completely different. Yes, and I believe that I believe Megalon does eventually show up in Sekizawa's last draft for his version, which was called Return of King Ghidorah, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but but you get the idea that Megalon would have been easier to pull off than King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah is yeah. a complex monster. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, but there was also some just some wild ideas uh, in no. uh, some of those previous yeah. scripts. Like at yeah. one point, I think it was in Kamur. I can't remember if it was Kamur's or Sekizawa's actually. But there was going the villain was going to be a disembodied alien brain. Yes, that was from Kamura's. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that was and that was called Alien Miko was his name. Yes. <laughs> and and he was going to ride on King Ghidorah like a horse. Yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, I think Sekizawa's script was going to have this Daimajin sort of monster in it. And <laughs> well, that that actually was in. So so I'm, I'm I've got here. I've got John LeMay's the big book of Japanese giant monsters, the lost films. Oh, I love that book. And he is crediting Godzilla versus the space monsters to Kori Mabuchi. And oh, that's that, that's Kimura. That's Kimura. Yeah, I, I say, but that what what name he was working under at, at a given time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, and so he says that in Mabuchi's script had the uh, alien brain Miko and Majin Tuol, who was like yes. the like we would think of Daimajin over at, at Dai. And that the idea was that, that they were Gigan was going to try to slice into Majin Tuol to be the body for Miko, but the statue was going to bleed and come to life. And that at was going to be the third earth monster was going to be this new Daimajin type character. <laughs> I would have loved that. <laughs> oh, you, and, and what's great is in the LeMay talks about it, that that Majin Tuol is the one who like sends the monsters packing. Like he like cuts uh, Megalon and, and Gigan with his sword and sends them retreating, and it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, this movie is bloody as it is. Can you imagine if he starts stabbing guys like a Chanbara? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I mean, it, that is, it, it's good that you bring this up. Interesting fact about this movie. Gigan, one of his claims to fame is mm-hmm. he is the first kaiju to make Godzilla bleed. Yes. Yeah. So I'm just thinking of, you know, that uh, that line that Whiplash has in, in uh, Iron Man 2 when he says, if you could make gold bleed i every time i watch yeah. this movie i think if you could make godzilla bleed I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I that's just really interesting you know yeah. it's a definitely marks you know it's a turning point because this is several years after superaya had died and he wouldn't let them do gore yeah. in the in these movies totally okay in the ultraman tv shows but not in the movies Oh okay. yeah, you can have, you can have Ultra <laughs> Seven using the jet cutter to cut a monster's jugular vein and get sprayed with blood. That's cool. No, Godzilla's not going to bleed. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. So he's gone. <laughs> so that's and then they're like, well, we're uh, having to deal with competition from uh, Gamera, and yep. one of their things was like, you know, they're gortastic, <laughs> so to speak, at least comparatively. So they're yeah. like, well, we better start doing that too. The thing about Gigan making Godzilla bleed is that it's I as 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 much as I do recognize that it is a change and it is different, and that scene is reused in Godzilla vs. Megalon. So that's where I was yes. first introduced to it. But it it does to me it does two things. First off, it really puts over Gigan in that you know Gigan is a tough monster, and it's incredible the amount of popularity that he has. Um, that has been maintained for him over the years. I know, but the thing is, is I felt like Toho didn't realize that for no, years. No, Gigan was popular. He's a cool-looking monster. He's a very distinct-looking monster. But it took them 
what, 20, no, 32 years. See, this is why I was an English major. Matt, <laughs> um, 32 years before they put him in a movie again. Yeah. At least they did. They did sell some. They did start making toys and put him in a video game at least. So he did. He had that going on. But but it puts him over. Right. Because you've got him in there with King Ghidorah, the big bad of Godzilla. Yeah. And you got and guy. But Gigan's the one that lays Godzilla low. It also, I think, watching it now really drives home the idea that the Nebulans had a plan. The -hmm. plan wasn't we're going to send monsters and destroy the entire planet. The plan is get Godzilla here, get him weak enough and, and lured to the tower and we will kill him. And that's what Gigan is knocking him down and knocking him down and knocking him down. But it's because they're, and at the same time, King Ghidorah is flapping his wings to blow him back. They're driving him to a spot. So there's actual strategy because they're still being controlled by the tape. So I, mm-hmm. I, I did like that, that there's actually, there's a plan and it's a real plan. It's not just yeah. the plan is go destroy stuff. Yeah. Well, and then what's interesting is that even after the control is broken, these two are still malevolent monsters. They're just like, yeah. oh, well, we don't have the aliens telling us what to do now, but I'm a sadistic punk. So I feel like killing this, uh, killing this guy. So, but they, <laughs> but I do like that. They start bickering with each other. Yeah. <laughs> because again, but well, and while they're bickering, the two earth monsters are working together. So we yes. get the, for let, let's, let's speak in broad terms, the air quotes up to the microphone, foreigners, the space mm-hmm. monsters who don't come from earth, they are bickering amongst themselves. If they don't have somebody telling them what to do, whereas the two native sons of earth, they are going to work together. They're going to achieve Nimawashi, the aligning of the roots. Yes, uh, you talked about this when you were on my show. Yeah. So once again, we have this idea that, you know, know, and again, we've talked about it several times here, is that, you know, the idea of the the foreign money coming in and that they're just going to, that Mm -hmm. they're going to be greedy and only worry about themselves, whereas the heroes are going to work together and cooperate. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they do. And they work together. Great, great bit. You know, Nakano, he really liked putting some monsters on wires, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And, uh. And he also got, likes setting things on fire. Oh my God. You know, there, there was a, there was a Twitter feed. There was a Twitter thread going on a couple of, a couple of weeks ago at this point, And someone was saying, I forget who it was. And I'm sorry for not giving credit that he goes, you know, Teruyushi Nakano. It's like, everybody always says, man, that guy could blow some stuff up, but he did some really good stuff. When, you know, when he, you know, given the, the time and money that he had available and they went and listed several uh, examples and I chimed in and I said, I agree with everything in this thread. Also, man, that dude could do explosions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've jokingly called Nakano the Japanese Michael Bay. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and there is so much fire in this movie. Yeah, there really so is. So much fire on those sets. I mean, those costumes are heavy and they're hot already. I can't imagine being those suit actors yeah. and wearing those things but with then, all of the heat from the fire. That must have been unbearable. But you know, know what? Nakajima, this is his last time. We should need to mention this. This is, was yep. his last time playing Godzilla. So I will tell you, ever since he died a few years ago, the end of this movie is always a little bittersweet for me. And you know, and then Kempichiro Satsuma, who I have met, and the guy is you're pushing 60 and is built. (laughs) Let me tell you, you he's tighter than, uh, you know, half the people half his age that I've met. And, (laughs) you know, he's in Geigen in this, you know, so we have 
the original Godzilla playing alongside his first major successor. Yeah. In this. And he was also yeah, in Hatter. But yeah. yeah. But so and, well and, and what what I like about well first off the uh, Haru Nakajima what can you say about it? I mean he is he gets some really good moments here. There's some real great, you know, big damn hero moments for Godzilla. Oh, yes. <laughs> when he when he you know when he when Gigan and Ghidorah throw him into the tower and finally destroy the rest of the tower and yes. he just and he gets his his moment where if this was an anime, it would be, it would like drop down into a widescreen frame as he looks over his shoulder and turns and bangs his chest. Anime power up time. Yeah. As Deadpool and, and, would say. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's like, Oh no. Oh no. And that, and that's when you could and but on the other side of the coin, then Satsuma as Gigan, Gigan has a lot of personality in this. I, and, and what's funny is that only in, in the two Showa movies with Gigan, you get a real sense of his character. This idea that he's yeah. a bully. That when things are going he's his a, way. He's like Starscream. <laughs> he's yeah. super happy when he has the advantage. But as soon as uh, as soon as the tide turns against him, he's he's all, uh, I'm done. Yep. <laughs> See you later. Peace, peace out. And, <laughs> yep, Have I fun, mean, Ghidorah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do like that. I do like when, so, you know, they, the Earth Monsters work together. You know, Anguirus does his big. Um, if you ever played Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, Anguirus oh, has yes. that move, I'm pretty sure. Uh, where, but that, that just but looks that, painful. I'm just going to yeah. say this right now. That looks so painful. And you know, just to continue the pro wrestling analogy, that looks like a double team tag maneuver right oh, there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when but, you go over and you, you know, like, uh, what was it? Uh, the road warrors, you know, like, you yeah, know, Hawk goes in and tags an animal. They do the doomsday <laughs> device. I mean, right. But the, I mean, it's doubly painful because Anger is driving his spikes into King Ghidorah looks bad. The angle that Godzilla is bending King Ghidorah's neck oh. cannot be comfortable. Oh, and no, I, it can't. And then we get one of Showa Godzilla's signature moves, which is, you know, the uh, the, the crazy judo flip. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, and and like, every time I, I see that, I keep thinking, I learned this from a giant monkey. <laughs> well, you know, and, but, you know, I said that, that um, you know, not going to like to put some monsters on wires. You know, he did it to Hedra. He does it to King Ghidorah in this movie. He's going to do it to Megalon in the next movie. He's going to do it to Anguirus in the movie after that. Yeah. You know? So it's like, we're going to pick... Um, and and I, all I can think of, that, that only I think only my brother is going to get this joke. I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to slam him down. You know, doing a Tex Ferguson type <laughs> of situation. But... Uh, but you know, so I but but even then, so when when the controls are destroyed and the, the the space monsters are on their own, they 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 initially turn on each other a little bit. Then the Earth monsters get the upper hand, and what's Guy can do? Gets the hell out of Dodge. Except <laughs> Godzilla shoots him out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels so earned at this point when you've watched Godzilla. I mean, and this is the first time we really, other than maybe Hedera, this is the first time we really just see Godzilla get the crap kicked out of him yeah. for a really long period of time. So when he gets that baby face fire, he's all, you know, it's like he's, he's Hulk Hogan at that yes. point. He's like, oh, oh, you. you. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just goes nuts and he can't be stopped. And, <laughs> you know, and isn't, and isn't it feels so earned. It does. And isn't that the perfect way to end a Sekizawa script that the space monsters flee into space? Yes. That's basically what they do in all his movies where there's a space monster, right? It's like, and we're out. We out of here. <laughs> well, yeah, it's because we got to keep him around just in case. Also, we can't kill Ghidorah because canonically he doesn't 
die until 1999, supposedly. Exactly right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, but I, you know, I mentioned it real briefly, and we've talked about it a little bit. The this the idea of this as a comic book movie, and mm-hmm. we talked about the the idea that Genko draws the pinup of all the heroes, and you get the feeling that how man you you made reference to this. Wouldn't this have made an amazing manga? Like just oh. a, a Tonka Bon, just an adaptation of the movie. I would have, uh, I would have eaten it up. Oh, it, was that, just, and if, and if it just would have been fun. It really would have been fun. And that's what our heroes, how they would have been depicted in the, in the manga, the way that yeah. Gengo draws them. That all oh, that 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 early yeah. set, which is style. actually why I kind of like the criterion artwork for this because they do one for each movie yes and the one for this one actually looks a little bit like a manga cover now i it does, don't yeah. quite like how godzilla's drawn in that but the everything else is just well, like Geigen oh my looks, this is such a manga <laughs> yeah and Geigen looks incredible on that piece of artwork too and so do yeah. the humans the humans actually look really nice on that one they too. look really manga-esque yeah. but it's funny uh we kind of got off track a little bit we were talking about the point with the voice bubbles for years, and these voices are still in my head because I watched yeah. that dub for so long that I still, it was so weird because the voices for Godzilla and Angerus sounded like horrible record scratches yes. that if you squint your ears hard enough, you can hear the English, they dub it over with English voice, so it's like they're literally talking, which doesn't make sense. If the idea is that you have the voice bubble. So it's like the voice bubbles are acting as translations for the monster speak, which makes so much more sense because the fact that the monsters were, it seemed to be literally talking was yes. one of the things that people poked fun at this movie for, but right. I will admit it's still kind of funny because those lines are permanently embedded in my skull. I can't get yes. them. Out. You know, hey, Aguila! What? <laughs> Why? What? <laughs> Something funny is going on. You better check. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they sound horrible. But, yeah. And it happens twice, kind of three times when you get to the end yeah. where, where you just see Godzilla and Anchorus, uh planning together before yes, they do their right. final attack. Now, there's no voice bubbles for that one, and I think that might have been intentional because they didn't want people to know what was going on. You yeah, just they yeah. just needed to communicate they're planning something. They got they they're <laughs> they're in cahoots on this one. But I, <laughs> yeah. you know, but again, of that being restored, it's just a little thing, but it it drives home again the idea of this movie as a comic book, as entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's pure entertainment. Yeah, well, and, and it's not the only thing that was restored that was removed. The opening credits. Yes. Because, very, and, and this yeah. is the weirdest thing, because, and I thought this for years, you know, those weird kind of laser beam sounding effects yes. that yeah. are in there. I just thought that was part of the soundtrack. It was just part of the music. It's not. They are sound effects because there would be these little laser beam things that would fly into the screen, then they would expand, and it would have the yeah. actors and crew members' names on them. Those were completely right. removed in the U.S. cuts so they could just and then so you're just seeing these shots of the set, the alien set. They're they're just static shots that when, you know, the laser beams are coming in, they it at least looks a little bit dynamic. But without them there, it's just a static shot with the camera moves around and then they just yeah. put English text over it. The, and it looks so the, boring by comparison. It does look boring. I will say this. One thing I do like about that is that 
and it may just be it, it this may be an issue of my blu-ray player i don't know this for a fact haven't confirmed it i don't think that they translate all the credits on the criterion one because the credits do move pretty quickly they so do. you get you get like the highlights but you don't get everybody whereas the english ones are a little bit more complete you know so if yeah but um, that, that i can tell you because i've heard some people talk about subtitling things and those are often choices that they have to make yes. how much of the credits that they want to subtitle because yes. it can be a little bit daunting depending on the the media mm -hmm. the, if you want to translate all of those because they'll either go by really fast or they'll have a lot of names up at the same time and it won't the audience will not have enough time to right. read the subtitles so there are choices that they have Abs to make so absolutely. a lot of times they just decide we'll subtitle the really important credits. So the actors, the director, yeah. or screenwriter. Right. And that and and yeah, and I have no problem with that. It's just again, another reason I try to keep all my all the versions that I pick up of these movies because you never know when you're gonna need that. Oh yeah. You, know? <laughs> you might want to go look at that as a reference or something and not and it's like, well, did they actually credit them? Or it's like, did they, you know, did did how did they do that? So I'm gonna take a look at it at least. But no, I mean that but that that is that's uh, I agree that having the original opening with the laser beams and such is a nice, a nice re-add that, that does the, the old ones, they look classy, but you're right. They're more dynamic in the, in the original, you know, I, I, I'm always a sucker for, uh, for, uh, opening credit sequences like that. Again, getting back to like Gator to three headed monster and monster zero where they've, you know, showing us here's things that you're gonna see, you know, in this movie, but we <laughs> won't show you Ghidorah. No, can't show you that. We can't show you that. He's a yeah. surprise. The the to this to this day that the final shot of the credits of Rodan flying and screeching right before it says directed by that that's indelibly burned in my brain when I think of Rodan. I love that that one little bit because that's mm -hmm. when I knew all right it's on. But <laughs> I do get the feeling from watching this again is that. If I had had Godzilla versus Gigan on tape instead of Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster as a kid it, uh, when I was like five, because I first saw Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster when I was and along with Godzilla and Rodan and Monster Zero when I was four years old. And if mm -hmm. that tape had had this one instead of Ghidorah or Monster Zero, this one might be my favorite of all time. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the a lot of these um, another a listener asked me about that when it came to Gamera and I said a lot of it is when you're exposed to it and what you get out of it when you're first exposed to you know what me watching this as a 12 13 year old after I've been watching Ghidorah and Monster Zero for a, you know eight years at that point eight nine years to me it's like eh, it's not as good as that one but if I had come to this one first what would my thoughts have been you know it's it's a mm -hmm. what if game yeah I, that totally makes sense that's why I don't know if you listen to Kaiju Weekly at all, but I was recently on uh, their episode on Terror of Mechagodzilla because that was my first Godzilla movie. And uh, I uh, I know it's not the best one, but one important lesson that I learned from Walter Hooper, who was the secretary for C.S. Lewis toward the end of his life, he, he told a story about he had a conversation with Lewis one time that where he was asking, oh, what's, what do you think is my best book? And then asked him, well, which one is your favorite? And they were two different things. And he says, see, your favorite is not always the best. And I think that is certainly true for me with Terror of Mechagodzilla. I know it's not the best Godzilla film, but I still love it because it was my first. It's one of my favorites. And I think the same can be applied for anybody 
who likes the 70s Godzilla films. Because let's right. be honest, the 70s Godzilla films are all a little bit wild in one form or another. And a lot of times they get ragged on. Sometimes deservedly so, but not always. But there are people out there who love them. And they have legitimate reasons for loving them. There are things to like about them. And I do a large part of it is nostalgia. And I, I get it. You don't necessarily want to have nostalgia color things so much that you overlook things that indicate that it's not good. And trust me, I have revisited some things from my childhood where I'm like, yeah, why did I like this again? But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's my little story with the uh, superhuman samurai cyber squad. But uh, yeah, that's a story for another day. <laughs> but yeah, Ooh, that's a, that's, that, that is a bitter pill to swallow. my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Trust <laughs> me. Uh, I really had to come to grips with that when I started watching the original Gridman on. Yeah. Super Aya's uh, YouTube channel, like, oh my yeah. gosh, this is, I mean, you're always going to be servo to me, but the show is so much better. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I see, I definitely would agree with you there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so I, like I said, rewatching this one now, I, I, I said, I've been looking forward to watching the Criterion and it did not disappoint. Great presentation of a film that has really grown on me over the years. And I've, I've really come to appreciate ironically much the same as Hedra. I said this on the episode of Hedra with my brother is that that was never one that I really liked growing up and watching it a couple of times for the episode. I really have become a fan of that one. Um, this one's starting to bring me around this one. It, it does have, it, it's not as you use the adjective wild and that's the right word. It's not as wild as Hedra. As far as it's hard to be as wild as Hedra. <laughs> you know what? Yoshimitsu Bano, love him, hate him. He was a true believer, right? Oh and, yes. <laughs> and it's like it's like he is he's he's got a message, and so help me God, you're gonna get it one way or the other. Yes. Whereas June Fukuda was like, okay, let's go make a movie, guys. You know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm probably not gonna like it because I don't think there should have been sequels to the original Godzilla. Isn't but that, you know, it's isn't a job. That crazy, isn't that crazy that June Fukuda who is known for doing these later entries was like more of a purist, even than like in Honda, as far as I don't think there should have been ever any sequels. It's like, really? <laughs> it's fascinating what happens when you got it. But at the same time, it's like, you still want to work, right? You still yeah. got to work. You're a film that, was, that was the thing. Uh, you know, a lot of the Toho directors, they were working men. So they're just, yeah. you know, it was like, this is my assignment, my job. I got to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah, I've, you know, not I've everybody did. can be Kurosawa, and uh, yeah. you know, he's like the one Toho director I can think of who would, I'm sure, maybe even literally, <laughs> went in there and grabbed a few of those execs and literally twisted their arms and said, "I'm doing what I want." <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you, there, you, there, there's certain certain amounts of stroke that come with success, right? So yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, but I, I, this is another one again, which I, I've really come to appreciate the work of Jun Fukuda. Yeah, uh, and he, you know, again, I'm really looking. His, go ahead. Oh, sorry. The, <laughs> I was just gonna say the Fukuda. I feel like is a little underappreciated. He's a bit overshadowed by a, a Honda, right. and I understand why in the fandom. But the guy at this point is has the second highest number of Godzilla films under his belt. Yeah, he's a he's beaten only by Honda. He's got five. Honda, I think, had eight 
I want to say. Yeah, because there's because Raids Again and Hetera yeah, are two Dacus. different directors or yeah. two different directors. So you know, Honda's got eight to his name, and he's got five. So ha- Fukuda also helped shape Godzilla into what he is, and you know, Fukuda's work deserves more appreciation and more reevaluation. I think. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny that that's been one of the themes, I think, in the fandom over the last uh, year and a half or so is reevaluation. Um, you, I know you and I discussed this, and we were kind of, kind of saw this on the front lines, like the active reevaluation of all monsters attack over the course yeah. of 2020. And, uh, and, and the, the really, you know, not, and sometimes getting a little heated, but sometimes just the really well thought out arguments on both sides of that equation for yes. that. And it's like, what is, is Godzilla vs. Gigan due for a reevaluation of that level? Probably not because it does have its fans. But at the same time, I do think that it does get dismissed out of hand because like I said, of its budget and some of the technical aspects where it's like, I think there's a, there's a good deal of meat on the bones here to unpack and talk about, especially if we're in, you know, if we're really, really want to look at these films as more than just, popcorn fluff entertainment this one works pretty well on the popcorn fluff entertainment mm-hmm. aspect but there's you know they, they they've got some stuff to say and they do a mm-hmm. pretty decent job of putting it together and i, I think mm-hmm. that for a film that even what is it um it's not Callet. who is it who wrote the um, i think it's ed, ed is it ed gojikowski who wrote the uh the little blurb in the criterion uh, box. Oh, Steve Rifle. Well, no, that no, no. Steve Rifle wrote the big essay, so it's probably Gotacheski. Yeah. Yeah, Gotacheski. He says that the film tends towards incoherence, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. The film tends to be fairly coherent. Wrote, if, what? Yeah, what? it's just. I can, it's I just, can totally follow this movie. Yeah, Did you watch the same movie? I'm sorry. It's just. What? <laughs> I, I, I mean, but again, it's it's it does. I, I I can see where it gets a little incoherent with some of the stock footage. Because it's, you know, it's, it's, it really is kind of just Matt, it's Frankenstein together, some of that. But again, that, that's yeah, a technical uh, But thing. I will, I, I mean, I will admit, uh, you know, as far as stock footage goes, they actually were pretty good with how they edited it in. So, yeah. And, and credit, and, and where credit is, is due. <laughs> and, and if you're going to use stock footage, use good stock footage, right? Use stock footage from Ghidorah and Destroy All Monsters. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little bit of Monster Zero in there and some War of the Gargantuas. The Last War makes an appearance again. Yeah, <laughs> very, very briefly. <laughs> the, they yeah, Toho must have loved The Last War because it got used for stock footage for years. <laughs> Absolutely. But, All the uh, way through the 80s, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like that I, I enjoyed watching this and, and even watching it with a critical eye because I, because I got to watch the, the, the English dub and the Japanese original. So I got to really kind of do a compare and a contrast and I got to watch the English one just for fun, watching with the kids and then watch a little bit more critically in the Japanese one. And both of them, I thought were really fun ways to spend 90 minutes, to be honest with you. So, you just have to remember to cover the, the little one's ears at certain points, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It's really that one line, but, uh, <laughs> so, but, but anyway, yeah, that this, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to watch this and, and talk about it because I've, I've, my appreciation has, has really just, just grown for this one. So, um, is there any, any other, any other, uh, you know, big points you, you want to bring up here? Or I think we've touched on just about everything. I, yeah, there's a lot I could say about this movie, but yeah, I, I, I will spare you. I mean, I could go on for a long time <laughs> about this, <laughs> but you know, we've hit all of the, the really important ones. 
I think. Yep. <laughs> I'm kind of going over my notes here really quick just to make sure. But uh, yeah, from what I can tell, yeah, we got all the important stuff. Well, okay, there's the one other thing I'll bring up cool. uh, that a lot of people don't uh, talk about, which is there's actually a fairly effective mystery that goes on for about the first third of this movie where ah, all yes. of our heroes are trying to figure out who are these guys running World Children's Land? Who yes. are we working for? <laughs> You know, and then there's kind of this, and this I is do one like of the that. things Shosaka that's a little even, bit confusing. says that. Yeah. And this is actually one of the things that's a little bit confusing about the different translations with the dub and the subtitles and all of that, which is what exactly are the Nebulans doing when, cause they look, they disguise themselves as humans, but depending on which translation you look at, it's either implying that they're literally digging up bodies and, stuffing themselves into the corpses which is ew or they're just images that are being projected yeah. so it's regardless it's it's just varying levels of creepiness at that point yeah. so and, and, know, it, and yeah and it, and it gets to one of the major themes of the film which is deception right mm -hmm. the the nebulans are are presenting themselves as one thing but they're another godzilla mistakes godzilla tower for himself uh, you know, the one, you know, a, a corn cob is mistaken it's for a gun. gun. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of, you know, deception and double crosses and that, and again, that, that to me gets, you know, mistaken identity is a, a common theme in Western comics. So I'd certainly, mm -hmm. it certainly continues on the comic-y trend with that. I do like that. You're right. There is a bit of a mystery on that. And I do like that Shosaku even says that when, when they, they get the tape and they, you know, they, they confront Gengo about it and they're like you know we've never even bothered to do the basics of this haven't we you know he gets, he gets like that that come to the mountain moment where he's just kind of looking off he's like yeah maybe we should do that yeah <laughs> and and there's also uh there's also the kind of that funny moment when they go meet the the you know the chairman's parents and they're like hey he's been dead for a year and and Gengo mentions yeah I, I met your son you know, over in Tokyo and he was doing math that would make a math professor's head explode and, and dad kind of leaves. I was like, just between you and me, he was an idiot. So, <laughs> so I was like, I can't be him. You know, little moments like that, like snide little pieces of humor. It's very Sekizawa. Yeah. And <laughs> I also, speaking of the chairman, I love the scene where he's introduced when Gango is just wandering through yeah. all the different rooms and he comes into his office and <laughs> this guy, <laughs> His office just screams supervillain. He's got <laughs> he the giant moon desk. Yeah, yeah, he has this rotating desk with a with a with a chair and just rotates around. Doesn't even have to turn around. He doesn't even, he doesn't even look up. He just lets the thing rotate and then he starts talking to Ginko. I'm like, dude, I would have ran right there. Yeah, like, you know what? <laughs> you know, I'm good. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was like, if you have a rotating desk and chair, you are super villain material. <laughs> well, it's God. Well, you know, it's an artist. It's like, well, he's paying me. You know, <laughs> I don't like to starve. Plus, yeah, got, my girlfriend. I was gonna say, get, get Tomiko off my back for a little bit. <laughs> Which we neglected to mention that 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 that, that actress. Made a name for herself in Ultra Seven. That's the yes, other interesting. She played Anne on Ultra Seven, which <laughs> yeah, she is she was in Ultra Seven. Yeah. <laughs> we which won't talk about what she did after this, but um... no. Well, that's 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 neither. <laughs> 
happened there. But um, yeah, a, little, a Subaraya actress in a in a in a Toho film. That's pretty good. The thing I always remember about Anne is that Anne on Ultra Seven had a stash of chocolate hidden in her in her uh, barracks. Be- because it's it's a girl. Girls love chocolate, you know. We can... <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it's so like the one where, yeah. where, where, where it's like when Fuji makes Ide take her shopping, and that one episode of, of Ultraman. <laughs> She's a girl. Go act like shopping. I mean, uh, let's be honest. Sixties <laughs> comic books were guilty of that too. Stan yeah. Lee made all of his heroines go shopping. <laughs> I, I mean, how many times was Sue Storm trying on wigs? I don't know why <laughs> Storm like to try on wigs. <laughs> and the Wasp was always going to the mall and buying new outfits. I mean, my gosh, I should changed her costume every two issues. But <laughs> they, hey, they they at least made that part of the Wasp character. But it, but, <laughs> but anyway, but before we turn into a Marvel Silver Age podcast, um, <laughs> Nathan, thank you so much for coming on to discuss it. This uh, discuss Godzilla versus Gigan with me. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for all of your insight and your point of view. I think that uh, we really did a, did a, did this film a good service and a good, uh, did it justice here tonight. Um, can you, why don't you please just let all the listeners know where else they can find your thoughts and insights elsewhere on the internet? <laughs> well, obviously I'm here because of my podcast, the Mon- Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. You can also Follow us on the the Instagram and the Facebook the at Monster Island Film Vault. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are the Monster Isla One. And yes, due to contractual obligations, I have to tell you to follow my intrepid producer Jimmy from NASA on Twitter as well at NASA Jimmy. But besides being a podcaster, I am also a published writer and novelist, and you can check out my sometimes kaiju related but not always writings on my author website nathanjsmarchand.com yes i had to use both of my <laughs> middle initials because nathanmarchand.com that domain was already taken i'm gonna find that guy and we're going to have <laughs> birds and they are not going to be pleasant <laughs> anyway and then if you want to follow me on, you know, my author Twitter, it is at Nathan Marchand seven. So I think that's just about everything. Oh, also, I do have a professional Facebook page, which is called the worlds of Nathan Marchand. There you go. Yes. Very, very good. Thank you very much. And a good, a good follow. Like I said, the, the, uh, the hype memes always get me, uh, <laughs> get me popped and ready for monster. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you. I have I've made a few that I thought were so good I want them to be t-shirts. <laughs> I think my favorite one is the one I made for my Varan episode that I I will tell you it's one of the ones that I put the least thought into. I'm just like I need a hype beam for today. What do I do? And then it just came to me. So I just found found a picture of a close-up picture of Varan's face and I just put the caption I killed two men over butterflies. I am the butterfly effect. (laughs) (laughs) And then this week, as we're recording this episode, I'm getting ready to put out one for Latitude Zero, and I have been having a lot of fun making too many Batman references. (laughs) Yeah, Cesar Romero Batman. 
jokes. <laughs> <laughs> or Common Rider. Uh, I put one up that was about yes. it was uh, Common Rider because there are Batmen in Common Rider as well. So I put up one that has the Batman, two Batmen going after a couple of characters. And and it says, why did you say that name? <laughs> and then the characters are saying, what name? Common Rider? <laughs> yeah. Because the we do have Batman on Monster Island, but I am 99% sure that they are not from Latitude Zero, because I'm not sure Latitude Zero exists, but I think they're from Shocker, because they get angry anytime somebody mentions Kamen Rider. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm waiting for the scene in uh, Godzilla vs. Kong where they, they decide to work together because they both know someone named Mothra. That's what's going <laughs> on. I right. saw that meme a few years ago, actually. And, it, and you know what? It's still good. That's <laughs> Mothra. Jeez. Why did you say that name? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So I'm good. The, I'm, I'm the biggest Batman v Superman fan I know, and I freaking love that meme. So let's just, you know, that, let, let, that, let that be your guide. But uh, <laughs> all righty. And uh, in any event, Nathan, thank you again for being on. Always a pleasure to talk, uh, talk giant monsters with you, man. Really mm -hmm. appreciate it. And again, folks, please go check out Monster Island Film Vault. It is a, a great show, a lot of fun. Uh, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's a good guy. He can uh, get a little pushy with some of his opinions now and again. But hey, aren't we all, really, when you get down to it? We are podcasters. But uh, yeah, Ellis has, uh, speaking, uh, of, uh, speaking of Jimmy, oh, that's my ringtone. <laughs> so uh, he's uh, letting me know that he has managed to somehow dodge the Cuomo police and he's uh, on his way back down here to South Carolina to pick me up. Well, thank God. Thank God for that. Because you don't, you don't want to, I, I don't even want to touch that one with a 10 foot pole, but, uh, but uh, every, <laughs> I, I'd like to thank everyone for, uh, for downloading, listening to the episode today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, I, I know I enjoyed recording it and I enjoyed talking, uh, Geigen with Nathan. So uh, I hope everybody... <laughs> but the one I always think of, I think of the kid in Megalon. Look, Geigen's come. Just look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The closest thing to a Kenny <laughs> in the Godzilla series, even more than it, than Ichiro, but, uh, <laughs> The, but um, so again, thank you very much, everybody, for downloading. Please come back next time. I'm not going to tell you what it is. A little bit of a surprise. I know we usually try to do uh, another, uh, you know, a little something special in December. So we'll please look forward to that. And uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to say that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. So if you are interested in giant monsters, if Japanese giant monsters or Kyodai heroes or any of that stuff, Tokusatsu has brought you joy and happiness in your life and you want to be a part of that show, you are welcome here on Earth Destruction Directive. All are welcome on Earth Destruction Directive. And I think it's important to always remember that, that uh, we're all part of the same fandom, we're all part of the same community. Uh, supposedly, we all like this stuff, so why don't we try and get along and talk <laughs> about it? But, um, so I did, you you know, are wiser than many in the fandom. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's funny because um, uh, the the guys over at the, the Kaiju Apostle they they put out a blog last year talking about gatekeeping, and I responded to it and I said I'm old enough to remember when being a Godzilla fan literally meant people would laugh in your face and not even not even you know bat an eye at it. So I was like, I remember when there was no air quotes up to the mic fandom for mm -hmm. Joe blogs on the street when there when the best you could hope for would be a fanzine would be Kaiju Review. Or, you know, the early days of G-Fan or something like that. So it was mm -hmm. like, to me... Which, just just, just to throw this out there, we got a new one coming up really soon, too. Kaiju Ramen. And I'm going to be in issue one. 
Ah, Score. very nice. Very nice, Doug. Uh, as uh, as we're recording this, the Kickstarter is going on, so search out Kaiju Ramen on Kickstarter. <laughs> and it's one of the most, probably one of the most successful Kickstarters <laughs> in terms of percentages in the yeah. fandom at this point. It's moving, <laughs> oh, moving along for sure. But uh, but, I, but I said, I remember, it was like, I remember when you know, Godzilla 98 came out and basically it was derision. If you were a Godzilla fan, you were an idiot. You know, it's like, you. why, why would you like something so stupid? You know, here's the real deal. But then when the, when Godzilla 98 wasn't successful, that was still our fault somehow. And yeah. I re- and, and what I had said was when 2014 was coming out, I was I decided I made a personal choice. I'm going to be the helpful guy. I'm going to be the guy that's going to talk to that. When people ask questions, I'm going to try and answer them to the best of my ability, try and drive people in a positive way. And that's been what's pushing me uh, for you know, for quite a while, especially on this show, is the power of positivity and, you know, really celebrating it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I could be miserable and down in the dumps. It's been a, a crazy year for everybody. Oh, I'd rather yes. talk about my radioactive lizard hero. So. Yeah, and I will tell you, <laughs> uh, I said that the, that EDD was one of my influences for the Film Vault. Your sheer positivity and staying focused on that, staying on brand about that is one of the things that I really took to heart when I started my show. And I, I credit you for it. I, I very much appreciate that because I... I try to, like I said, I, I try, if, if only in my own little way, to make the fandom a little bit, a little bit more positive, a little bit, uh, a little bit better, and make make sure everybody knows that, you know, we're we're all here to have fun. Let's let's have fun, right? So, uh, so I certainly had fun tonight. I hope all you listeners out there had fun. Nathan, thank you again for uh, for coming on the show. We will have to do this again either here or I'll have to figure out a way to get back over to Monster Island for the vault. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. Just uh, whenever you uh, whenever you have a good topic or film that you want to discuss heck if you want to bring me back for terror i would be more than i can talk about terror forever (laughs) i don't doesn't matter how many times i get asked to talk about terror i will always talk about terror so just throw that out there you want to if you want to bring me if you want an excuse to bring me back that's one that'll get me to come back sounds like a plan man we'll have to work something out but uh until then thank you again nathan thank you everybody for listening please come back next time and until then Keep them stomping. Sayonara. Kakemeri. Medasu wa wanui. Kaiju da. Dekai karada ni kawaii medama. Kasu mo tatakai. Bokura no gojira. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. 
If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to TwoTrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.